Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. On paper, you'd think this was going to be one hell of a train wreck. But then you listen, and you realize common sense doesn't have a party, an ideology, a stereotype, or a color. Can we be united again? Stick around, and we'll prove it. This is Doc in the Block. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Doc in the Block podcast. Today, we got the full crew. Veron Haynes, good to see you. Good morning. My brother, how you doing? Big block. He's been out and about taking care of business. How you doing today, brother? Yeah. I'm doing awesome. I'm really excited today. We have an amazing guest, uh, Lieutenant Governor of North Carolina, Mark Robinson. He's an amazing, uh, he has an amazing story. Our kids are going to love seeing this. Yes, uh, Lieutenant Governor, thank you so much for being part of the show. Hey, thank you for having me here. It's a pleasure. So, most of our audience are, uh, you know, we, we kind of target middle school kids and we're just trying to let them know that, you know, all the things that they're going through, uh, whatever it is, no matter how bad it is, it's normal. We all go through it. We all have issues and that their ability to succeed is within them and it's based on their habits. And we're always talking about our, our motto here is no excuses. You know, no matter what, you have no excuses. You're going to make it happen. And it's, Honesty, integrity, accountability, keep working hard, be a good teammate, um, rely on faith, and things will eventually break their way, even though a lot of times things seem like they're not breaking your way. Your story is amazing, and we would love to hear it. Tell us a little bit about how you got to where you are. Well, uh, I was born and raised in Greensboro. Uh, I'm number nine of 10 children. My mom had 10 children. My mom was married twice, however. She had five with her first husband and five with my dad. Uh, I was part of that second five, so I grew up with four of the siblings in the house. Uh, We grew up right there in the heart of Greensboro, on the east side of Greensboro. Uh, Very poor, of course, by American standards, very poor. Not by world standards, but by American standards, very poor. And, um, um, you know, saw quite a bit of struggle coming up. Had some interesting dynamics in my family. My dad was much older than my mother. Uh, my dad, uh, I love to tell this. My dad was, uh, I was born in 1968, uh, August the 18th of 1968 is when I was born. My father was actually born in 1897. Uh, he, yes, he was 71 years old when I was born and I have a younger sister. And wow. uh, my mom was much older than he was. And so uh, it led to, a, uh, you know, it led to a big, uh, big event in my life, because when I was in the fifth grade, my father passed away. 
And my father, while he did have his issues, was the bedrock of our family. He was, we went to my father and we needed stuff. We needed food. We needed shelter. He was the responsible person. And my mom was there, of course, in that traditional type marriage as the person's so-called second in command. But when my dad died, my mom did something. Uh, uh, when my dad died, my mom did something uh, that I count as the biggest piece of heroism that I've ever seen in my life. Uh, my mom had probably a fifth grade education. And she had very little skills uh, to offer on the job market. My mom could have easily become uh, a ward of the state. She could have lived off welfare for the rest of her life. In fact, a friend of hers told her that. But she chose not to do that. My mom got a job and she got, you know, about the only job she could get at that point. Uh, she got a job as a custodian at North Carolina A&T State University. And that's how she took care of us. And I watched my mom walk to work uh, to make that happen before she was able to get an automobile. My mom literally had scraps left with her life and she made miracles out of it because she was willing to work hard and not accept the crumbs swept to her by a government entity. She got out and she worked hard for her children and her family. And that's something that stuck with me. It was with me the moment I saw my son being born. When my wife had my son, I automatically knew that now I am in the same position my mother was in. I have a wife and a son who I'm responsible for, and I have to get out and make it happen. And so that standard that she set in my life uh, causes her to be what I consider the greatest hero in my life. And uh, com coming up in Greensboro, very, very tough times. But I can tell you this. I won't go through all the, 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 the years when I was small, but I can tell you this. The very first uh, impacts that I start to see, where I start to see the world open up for me, the larger world open up for me, was when I was in middle school. Back then, it was called junior high school. Uh, I had a lot of great people around me that gave me a lot of great uh, influence and encouragement. And uh, I always say that those things started outside of my home uh, uh, in the church and in middle school. And so uh, to those young people that are out there in those grades right now, uh, take advantage of what you have, because I'm telling you, those years are, are very important. So, you know, Block always talks about his testimony. I know he's he's humble guy, so he doesn't really share it that much. But I'm always impressed by Block because, you know, he'll tell you the first time he ever had his own bed was when he went to prison when he was 17 years wow. old. And then he turned his life around and be, became a three-time uh, Grammy award-winning music producer. And he's, you know, he's he's the man now. And I always ask him, like, what what motivated you to do that? And he said, he always says like, I didn't want my kids to have to go through the same stuff that I went through. And that was like a big motivator. And it really intrigues me. Your mother chose not to go on public assistance and she got a job. She's got, you know, five kids. She's uh, widowed. I mean, if anybody, you know, that is the person that, that public assistance is designed to help. I mean, that's exactly who you aim it at. Could you talk a little bit about how it was beneficial to your family, your brothers and sisters, that she didn't go on public assistance and how that affected your life and your trajectory and your life where now you're the lieutenant governor of a state? Uh, you know, it just gave me great energy to know that my mom was able to do that. I can remember times uh, when uh, it was time for us to go to school, example, when it was time for us to get school clothes. My mom was able uh, to buy an automobile. And I remember those days of her putting us in the car and driving us to uh, driving us to the mall and taking us to uh, back then. It was Montgomery Wards at Carolina Circle Mall in Greensboro. She drove yep. us there to buy school clothes. I remember her taking us to Eckerd's Drugs to buy school supplies. And I look back on that now, knowing what I know now, 
having been a young father uh, and trying to take care of a family, how tough it must have been on my mom to do that all by herself. The yeah. sacrifices that my mother probably made, the amount of times she probably went to work hungry to make sure that I had clothes on my back and that I had the things that I needed for school. And uh, again, the older I get, the more energy it gives me because that one standard that she set for me in particular, I think was a game changer. I think had she chose that other route, had she chose to abandon uh, her uh, responsibility to care for me and uh, my siblings, uh, I think my life would have turned out a, a whole lot different. Uh, but that one experience with her, I think more than anything, is what really gave me the energy to, to realize that this is not about how I look. It's not about where I come from. It's about uh, it's about my attitude. It's about my work ethic. It's about what I put in in order to get things out. And so it was a game changer for me. I know Varon talks a lot about uh, the difficulties he had uh, when he was young. And he says his kid's biggest problem is when the Uber Eats doesn't show up on time. And it's just like a different, different a different level of, uh, of, uh, difficulty and, and, and struggle in life. Veron, what do you think about that? It's profound, man. Let me congratulate you being the ninth kid of 10. That's, that's a strong mom, man. I myself can attest to that. Uh, that's what motivated me when I was going through my tiredness is tired rhymes with fired. I would say, Every time. That's what my mom told me. Right. So that's what kept me motivated and kept me going. So I commend you for you and your mom for doing that and, and her strong will, getting you guys out of poverty and, and showing you how to become the man that you have became. So kudos to you for that. Uh, one of the questions I have for you was, you know, the pitfalls growing up in the deep South, North Carolina. Right. And being one of 10 kids. Uh, what was some of that that you saw at the middle school level? And also, what was a circumstance that propelled you to become where you are right now? As an adolescent, you know, we have challenges, but what was something that you could remember that you could pinpoint to look back and say, after that, I got my button gear. Well, I'll, I'll take that first part first. Uh, the pitfalls. I, again, I have to give all the credit to my mother. I have to give it all to her. My mom was determined to see to it that I was always around good people. I was not able to leave the house with anyone that my mother didn't first set eyes on. My mother examined my friends to make sure they were the proper people for me to be hanging out with. And she always made sure that I went to places where I could see proper role models. So I have to give her that credit. She always made sure that I had appropriate friends that uh, were going to bring appropriate results in my life. So I have to give her that credit. As far as getting my butt in gear, again, uh, uh, the one thing, like I said, I when I, I joined the United States military and was in the military for a little while. And uh, while I was in the Army Reserves, you know, I was kind of drifting a little bit. I was kind of undecided about what I wanted to do in my life. But when I got serious, again, when I got serious about life and knew that I had to put my foot down and start trying to make some strides and directions on making sure that I could build a home and a family was the moment I saw my son being born. I was the first person on earth to lay uh, eyes on my son's face. And when I saw his face, I knew that I had to take that step that my mother had taken. And from that moment on, I was doggedly determined to make sure that I did everything I could to bring success for my family. Certainly things didn't always go right. And there were some tough times between then and now. 
But every step that I took was every step taken was a step that I took in effort to make sure that my family had a great outcome. And thank God that that's the result. Yeah, that's uh, we always talk about on this show that, you know, being a big timer and being uh, doing the things and engaging in the habits that you need to do to be successful, honesty, integrity, accountability, you know, resilience, being a good teammate, uh, praying to God, you know, all of the virtues that allow people to be successful. It's not just about you. It is generational. You know, your mother is also a big timer and her example uh, puts you in a position where you could be an, you know, an even bigger big timer. And I think about that all the time in my life. You know, my father used to tell me that, uh, you know, they never had indoor plumbing till he was 15 years old. And he said he, they were poor and that he was embarrassed to go to school in the clothes that his parents got him. And he said, I worked and earned my clothes from the time I was 11 years old because I didn't want to go to school in the clothes that my parents put me in. And I'm thinking, you know, my grandfather, you know, had his issues. My father had his issues. His issues. I get to be an orthopedic surgeon and then my kids, you know, they want for, for nothing. And I, I see how that, um, how that generational struggle works. And that's one of the things that, you know, Block talks about being so important. I didn't want my kids to have to go through this. And this is one of the things that we like to uh, talk to our listeners about is that the effort that you're putting on, on yourself right now and your ability to succeed in your own life, it's not just about you. You got posterity that's coming down the road that's going to be uh, really depending on you. And I always find that to be more of a motivation, right? Whenever I'm doing something for someone else, it, man, it puts me in a different position than if I'm doing it for myself, you know? Talk, talk to us about that. Well, you know, I'll give you a perfect example of that. The, uh, the very, when after I uh, won the lieutenant governor's uh, position, and uh, the very first time that I presided over the Senate as the president of the Senate, I stood on that dais. And I looked out over all of those uh, 50 plus senators and I, I looked at them and I and I said to myself, my goodness, I'm standing here on this dais uh, as the lieutenant governor of North Carolina, the first black lieutenant governor of North Carolina. And I, I really had to take a deep, deep breath and collect myself because I realized that standing on that dais with me was my mom. And yeah. standing on that dais with me was my wife's grandfather who had to who drove railroad spikes for a living at one time. And, and uh, I was standing on that dais with my wife's uh, father, who spent uh, decades in prison. And I was standing on that dais uh, with all of those people who came before me, who took so many fiery darts and arrows and suffered so much indignity and so much injustice to see to a better day for me. All of those people were standing on that dais with me and they were looking out at what I was looking at and what I was looking at was not just those senators. I was also looking out at the future generations yet to come people who will look back in the history books and see a picture of me and read my story and realize uh, that I had made it uh, despite all the obstacles that people said was in my uh, way that I had made it. And I knew that uh, one day that some young person would look at that and they would have great energy to know that they could do it too. So you're absolutely right. Our responsibilities does not rely, just doesn't lie with us and honestly does not lie right here in the present. It lies, uh, definitely lies in the future because that's what we're working for. But we also have a distinct responsibility to honor the past because without the contribution of those folks in the past, from mother all the way back, uh, we would not be here today. 
you know, that's amazing. Uh, I, I think about that all the time too, about, you know, the, uh, trying to instill in my children, you know, what my father and my grandfather instilled in me about hard work and about not quitting. And that what you just described there, that's the whole genesis of the Doc and the Block podcast and the Big Timers Foundation is we want to show kids out there that no matter what you're going through, I'm going to show you somebody who's in the exact same situation you are and succeeded. And we want the kids to be able to look and go, hey, if that person can do it, you know, I can do it. And Block, what do you think about that? I mean, from a, from sitting in a prison cell, and now you look at your kids. Now you got, you know, Malik at Michigan State, uh, you know, killing it. He's probably going to go pro uh, in the into the NFL. You got other kids that are uh, involved in music and, and all great. kinds of I was, things. I, I was, I was saying, thinking, man, it's kind of like we kind of how's that got parallel life? You know, we come from the hood. It seemed like uh, we both love our parent, well, mom, um, and I would have done anything in the world to kind of ease the. The, um, the pain from the ease, the, the, um, the bills. But what I want to ask him is, have you ever had a brush with the law? Have you ever tried anything to try to help your mom out, you know, the household out? Like, what was your past, like, coming up during that time? No, I, I never, I've never had any brushes with the law. Uh, but I, I, I tell you this, I, I'll make yeah. this a twofold question. Never had any <laughs> brushes with the law, but I, I sure had temptation. Yeah. Sure had temptation. I remember one time I had two children and my wife was in school yeah. and I was making about $6 and 50 cents an hour trying to maintain yeah. a household. And a fellow came to yeah. me and flashed a big wad of cash to me, $5,000 to be exact and said, Hey, need you to take a van and drive up New York city and drop it off. And come on back. And yeah. he said, when you do, I'll hand you this $5,000. You can do that once a month. It's easy money. Nobody will be yeah. the wiser. And I looked at that money and I, I tell you, it was a big temptation. Uh, but the thing that saved me from doing that was something that my brother had told me years ago yeah. about how sometimes when you get into things with some people, it's good for a moment, but you can't get it off of you. And I thought about that. Yeah. And I thought about my children and I thought about what I might be bringing into my into their life. Yeah. And uh, I decided against it. Now, there are many young men and women that don't do that. Uh, and because I know the temptation. That's why I'm determined not to yeah. abandon those who have fallen into the temptation because those folks are redeemable. As a matter of fact, there's great talent and energy in them, and uh, we need to make sure that we don't ab- abandon those folks that do fall in those traps because I can certainly understand how they yeah. do. But I can tell you what I did do. I got in severe financial trouble, very big financial trouble. Had to file for bankruptcy, lost my home, lost my automobile. At one point, uh, was put out of my uh, apartment terrible financial straits. And it came to a point where I had to realize something. I had to realize that I could not do this on my own. And I did the thing that so many don't want to do. I reached out for help. And when I reached out for help, I found that it was there. People understood what I was going through and more important, understood how I could get out of it. And when I did that, I found my I found my financial fortunes being turned around, my wife and I. And now we're on firm a firm financial no, footing. But I tell you, I would not trade those struggling days for anything. Yep. Because they have taught me, number one, how you can get in them. Number two, how to get Absolutely. out of them. And to have compassion for those who are in those situations right Love now it. to do things to help them get out. So wouldn't trade those days for anything. We, we, talk, we talk about it on this show all the time that life is just a series of competitions with wins and losses. And 
sometimes things go your way and sometimes they don't go your way. And that's just the facts of life. And you can, you know, even with your kids, it hurts me to know. I look at my children and it's like, I want to protect them from everything, but I know I can't. And so it's not about protecting them. It's about preparing them so that when you do go through your down times, you have the tools you need to endure. And it's just to let them know, like it happens to all of us. You know, I filed for bankruptcy before too, you know, and it's like, you're making this way in the world. And then sometimes things just don't go your way. And, you know, you have to learn about life. And sometimes that, that, that lesson comes hard. You know, the other thing is, you know, we always talk about you show me who your friends are and I'll show you how successful you're going to be. You need to align yourself with the right kind of people and you need to stay away from the wrong kind of people other than to, to, to help. You know what I mean? But, you know, I, I always try to reach out to people that are struggling and, you know, we talk about virtue and honesty, integrity, accountability on this show. And I always hope our listeners understand we're not talking from a superior place. I'm talking to myself too. I need to hear these lessons too. And even, even now, you know, I wake up and I got struggles and I have doubts and I, you know, I pray to God and I say, show me, show me the way I'm not feeling it right now. And, um, you know, I always talk about on this show about, uh, practicing your, the way you are in life. And, uh, my father used to talk to me about practice, not quitting. So on all the small things, you know, I do my run, I get to the end of my run and it's, it, there's a big hill up to my house. And a lot of times, like, who cares? I'm just running for exercise. It's not a big deal, but I always tell myself I'm going to run to the top because if I stop at the bottom, that's quitting. And if I quit, that's going to turn into a habit of quitting and I don't want to be a quitter. So I practice not quitting on the small stuff. Now I was just in my MMA class the other day and they were having us do push-ups and sit-ups in a minute. And I tapped out on the push-ups and it's still bothering me today. You know what I mean? It's like I quit. But the thing is, it's a small thing, but I but it's but I'm working on my mind about it. You know what I mean? Because like next time I'm not gonna do it. And if you kind of practice these habits, it's these habits that that make right. you successful because you know, you're going to get bad breaks that come your way, but eventually you're going to get good breaks. You know, we always say luck is where preparation meets opportunity. You know what I mean? Uh, and you know, my daughter's struggling right now. She was walking out the door and I said, Hey, listen, it's just another day full of possibilities, you know, pray to God, keep your head down and see what happens. You know, uh, now you've had, like you said, you've had a lot of struggles in your life. Um, losing a father is a huge one. I know a lot of our listeners out there and They've either lost their father or their father's not in the picture. Talk to me about how you endured that and how you prospered despite not having a father around for a lot of your life. Man, that's, that was a tough one, I tell you, because yeah. my father and mother had a what we would consider a very, very traditional marriage. My mother didn't work outside the home, and everything that came into that house and went out of that house, my father had his hand on it. And so everything that all of the little possessions that we had, we counted on him for it. When my father died, I don't, I'm not shy about saying I was terrified when my father died. I thought we were going to be, I had, I had no idea what was going to come to come of us. I remember sitting on my bed uh, a few days after he died thinking, my God, in five years, where are we going to be? What's, what's going to happen to us? You know? And uh, I just did not know what was inside my mom. Because when my dad was around, he didn't allow what was in my mom to come out. The strength that my mom had couldn't come out. Much of that she hid, I think, for our protection. And so uh, 
with my dad not being around, I can tell you this, the major influence in my life, male influences in my life, number one influence, the very first place was the church. Uh, the men of the church that I grew up in were solid men that gave me great energy. I looked at them and I saw they had great careers and great families. And I oftentimes uh, sought to uh, model myself after them. They were role, my first role models were the men of the church. My second role models uh, were the men that I saw in education. Uh, at that time, many of the men were uh, in, in our schools were principals. Uh, the, the principals were males. Uh, and those men served as role models to me, as quasi-fathers to me. And as I went through school, uh, middle school, high school, I can count off the teachers by name uh, who stepped in and were mentors towards me to give me the, uh, the to give me the advice and the consent that I needed to be able to stay on the straight and narrow and to make the, the right decisions. Folks who encouraged me, folks who gave me uh, the ability to have confidence in myself. And so uh, and again, I think that was all due to the influence of my mother, making sure that I was going to the right people around the right places and staying away from the wrong people. And so uh, I have to give her that credit as well. But I, I would definitely say that that was it. Those those folks that I met in the, inside the uh, church and inside the school system were definitely the role models that kept me on the straight. LT, you hit. Sorry. So it sounds like. No, I was just going to say, it sounds like your mother made an effort to put some strong men in front of Absolutely. you to, to, to help help you model after them. And, you know, that's the one thing I noticed as a, you know, as a parent, uh, you know, I look at my, I, I, well, I grew up with all brothers and then I have all daughters now. So it's kind of like the first half of my life was kind of all men. And then the second half of my life is all women. And if there's one thing I've learned is men and women are different, mm. you know, Absolutely. but they're very, but they bring, they both bring important things to the table. Yep. And that's why it's so important in a family unit. You know, a father brings things to the table that mom can't do. It's not that they're not great and awesome. Absolutely. It's just, different. And that's why it's so important as a male to fulfill your duty as a male, not only for yourself, but when you have kids, you know, you have to be there for them. And really for me, when I, when Block and I were kind of talking about uh, the, the Doc and the Block podcast and developing the Big Timers Foundation, that the big motivation for us was, you know, we wanted to help, you know, we've got, we've both gotten to that place in our career for Ron as well, where, you know, we're, we're doing great, but we want to help the next generations and the generations uh, coming up. And I always said the one thing when I look back on it that I could point to to say, well, how, how was I successful was I had a dad that just told me, don't quit. Absolutely. You know, when I was down, when I was crying, when I was feeling it, you know, it's, you know, I, God had forsaken me. My dad, nope, yep. stand up, put one foot in front of the other. And that's what we're trying sure. to do. Well, that's one of the things that really bothers me about popular culture. Popular culture likes to pit men and women against each other. God didn't pit men and women against each other. God made a perfect circle with man and woman. He made man. Then he made woman from man. Then he made it so yeah. that all men come from women. And then he, and he made it so that neither can do, do it without the other. Amen. Amen. <laughs> it's a yeah. perfect circle in God. And there, and, and there is no greater and there is no less than between men and women. It is a perfect, it, it is perfectly equal the way God made it. And so much of what we see in society right now, we try to place more of a premium on the man or the woman. 
God didn't do that when he created us. God created us to be uh, in uh, in total cohesion in a, in, a, in a circle that he created. And I think that when we follow him and follow his principles, uh, it, it shows in our families. You hit on some good points. Uh, one of the things that we see in all successful people that we interview on this is the virtues, right, that Scott talked about. But a big one is the faith product. So you did hit on your men. And of the church stepping up. Give us an example of your faith and what it looks like today. But also when you do make it, we also like to say, reach back and help others be successful. Absolutely. Absolutely. So the uh, first part of that with the faith part. Uh, so here I'll give you a short synopsis of my faith uh, in my life. So I grew up in the church and I had great role models in the church that I went to. Uh, but the downside of that was this, the church that I went to, uh, I never got saved at church, at that church. I didn't even understand what it meant to be saved. I, I didn't understand what that concept meant. I got, even got baptized in the church and still didn't know what it meant to be saved. I didn't get saved until I was a young man. And of all places where I could get saved, I got saved at a college student union. They had a religious revival there. A minister came in and spoke, my best friend begged me to come to that event. I went and that night I got saved. Now, my friend, when he got saved, he was the person, he turned his life around instantly, but I'm kind of hard-headed. So I had to walk a longer trek <laughs> and I have been walking a longer trek. Uh, but the older I get and the more, the closer, the, the one thing I can tell you this, the closer I get to God and the more I follow his tenets and the more I rely on him, the easier and better my life has become. Uh, one, Amen. one of the things that I do as an elected official that people think is some people think is odd and I don't care is when I stand up in front of a group of people, I don't care who it is. I don't care if it's businessmen, clergymen, teachers. I don't firemen. It doesn't matter who I'm standing in front of. Before I say anything out of my mouth, the very first thing I say is I give thanks to my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, because if it was not for him, I would not be sitting where I'm sitting today. And I have to give him thanks every day. And I don't do it because I'm pious and think I'm better than everybody else. I do it, number one, because he's worthy of the thanks, more than worthy of the thanks. And number two, it's because I need him on a daily basis to help me on my journey mm -hmm. to continue to try to be who he would have me to be. And so uh, faith is paramount to us uh, and it will continue to be paramount to us. And we believe that showing that faith in the public square, in that ecclesia, is going to do exactly what you just said. Those folks who don't feel like they can profess their faith, they're going to have the energy to do that and realize that, yes, faith plays a crucial role in success. Faith is one of the things that we find is almost, I think it's almost 100% of our big timers have, have faith. The other thing is, you know, we always talk about if you want to be successful at something, go find somebody who's already done it and do what they do. Well, I can tell you the people that have fulfilling, successful lives are people that have a faith and have a relationship with, with God. And, you know, the other thing is the, you know, the, somebody's faith is a lifelong battle. You know, like I go to church on the weekends and I say, God, I want to be closer. I want more. I want to feel it more. And it's a battle, you know, and as in terms of the type of person I am and this, we were talking about this a little bit earlier is. You know, being a good person and doing the right thing and, and being virtuous and all that is a daily battle because we all face temptations yeah. to do the wrong thing and we all fall short. I mean, that's kind of the whole point. And I'm always talking to people about like, why would you not 
try faith. You know what I mean? Whether you feel it or believe it or not, the evidence is there that it is. if you have a re- relationship with God, that your life is better. I mean, that is just a fact across the board. And, you know, people will, will talk to me about, well, there's this corrupt person or that corrupt person or, you know, a pastor's corrupt or, you know, the church has done something corrupt. It's like, yes, of course they have because they're run by human beings and we're all fallible. But that doesn't that doesn't change uh, the the power of God and the fact that if you have a relationship with God, you're going to live a more successful life, a more peaceful life, a better life. And, you know, for me, you were mentioning it just a second ago. I go to church every week and it's the most important reason is because I need to learn every week that it's not about me. It's about what he wants for me, because it only takes me about a week to be like, what about me? You know what I mean? Yes. And it's like, and then I get that piece when it's like, God, tell me what to do. I don't know what to do right now. Tell me what to sure. do. And then it appears to me, you know? Sure. Well, I, I can speak to that directly. Uh, big, oh gosh, I can speak to that directly. I spent an inordinate amount of time as a grown man uh, trying to figure out what I was going to do for God. I really did. I tried to figure out, I said, well, maybe I should be a pastor. or Maybe I should do this. And then. At one point, I figured it out. I said, you know what I'm going to do? I said, I think I, I love teaching. I'm going to be a professor of history. And I know that being a professor of history, I'll have an influence over young people. And I can use my faith to help kind of guide me through this. And at some point, I know I'll be able to share my faith with some young people, maybe on college campus and maybe change some minds. So I thought to myself, yeah. God, that's what I'm going to do for you. I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to use my talents to be a professor of history. And so I had made up my mind that that's what I was going to do for God. Well, uh, along the way, uh, I was uh, I was sitting in bed one morning about to get up and head off uh, to the college campus. And I and I and I, I got hit with a lightning bolt and the lightning bolt was this. Uh you've been asking the wrong question. (laughs) You've been asking yourself what you're going to do for God. The question you should have been asking is of God. What do you want me to do for you? Yeah. And so that's exactly what I did. And people would think it's a little strange, but I went and had a conversation with myself, well, conversation with God in the mirror. And I said to him, this is not about me anymore. I said, this is about you. And I said, whatever you want me to do, I will do it. I will go and do it. If you want me to go preach to passing cars downtown, I'll do it. If you want me to go into the crack bin and preach, I'll do it. If you want me to go overseas and preach and do whatever you want me to do for you, I'll do it. I'm yours. Do with me as you would do, as you would do. I am yours. My hands are in the air. This is not mine anymore. And about two months after that, I found myself standing in front of Greensboro City Council delivering a speech that I did not prepare, that I had in words that I don't even think were mine. They were his. That changed my life and set me on the course that I'm on right now. And I believe the reason why he had me do that was because he's given us our freedoms and he needs a regiment of people to protect those freedoms. And I believe that I was one of them. But I don't believe it would have happened had I not surrendered myself to him and told him, Use me and how you created me in the way that you see fit. And I believe that that's what he's doing. You said something really, really interesting. It didn't just happen right when you went and had that conversation. You actually had to actually live it. And it let it two months. He made it you wait two months 
So people think it's an immediate action and they want it when they want it. Not knowing that it's Mm -hmm. his time, not yours. Right. right. So that's that's interesting. And and that's where, and that's where faith really kicks in. You said it. Because sometimes there are some people on earth who never know the impact that they made on earth. They never know. They never know that it was them that reached that person who became that great evangelist. They never know that it was them that reached that child that would do great things. They never know the the, the purpose that God created for. But we have to have faith in him and follow him and allow him to use us so that he can use us in whichever way he wants to use it. Because at the end of the day, it's not about our glory. It's about his. Amen. So talk to us a little bit. How did you end up? in the Lieutenant governor's uh, position. I mean, you're here. You are Lieutenant governor of uh, North Carolina. I mean, a huge position with uh, a lot of, you know, I I use the term power. You have the power to affect a lot of people in a positive way. How did you find yourself in this situation? Well, as I mentioned, I ended up giving a speech that went viral uh, across uh, the uh, um, digitally. It went viral on the internet and uh, when I did, you know, I had a lot of people contacting me. And the number one thing people were contacting me about, they wanted me to parlay that speech into a bunch of money. And uh, I, I just didn't believe that's the reason why God put me behind that podium that night was to get rich. He put me behind that podium, I believe. And he used me as a person who would stand up for, for our freedoms and to affect some change. And so uh, after giving it a lot of thought, I thought, well, where, where do you make the change? You make the change in the halls of uh, legislature. So I decided to run for office. And believe it or not, it was my wife who came up with the idea of running for lieutenant governor. The seat was going to be an open seat. Uh, the current lieutenant, that current lieutenant governor at the time was running for governor. And uh, I ended up in a nine way primary. And uh, in that nine-way primary, we came in number one, uh, avoided a runoff, got 33.1% of the vote. And uh, then we went on to the general election against a long-standing uh, uh, elected official there in Raleigh. And we ended up winning that race by about four points. So uh, deciding to so- run uh, for lieutenant governor was something that we did after a lot of consideration and thought. But we did it because we went to uh, – we want to be able to take advantage of what we had in order to affect some serious change. And we feel like this is the best way to do it. So I remember that speech and you're, you're saying you were not involved in politics until then. No, sir. I, I was, I was working at the time when I gave that speech, I was actually wearing my work clothes. I just come from work. Uh, I was working full time in a furniture manufacturing facility and going to school full time at uh, the University of North Carolina at Greensboro, majoring in history. And And that was an unprepared speech. Absolutely. That was totally off the cuff. Come on now. You you can't tell me that that's not divine providence. You better believe it. When I got there, I had no idea what I was going to say, but God gave me the words and, and, and gave me the wisdom to be able to say what I said. And you know, I, I tell people all the time, they weren't, those weren't my words. I truly believe they were his. And I was de- delivering those words on his behalf because uh, freedom, true freedom comes from God. And there's no freer nation than the nation that we live in. And the freedoms yeah. that we have, they are, they are given to us by God. That's why I urge young people, do not beg anyone for your freedom. No man gave you your freedom. No man can take it. That's Freedom right. is yours from God. It is a gift from God. And you don't you don't beg for your freedom. You demand it in his name and you stand up for it in his name. And so I believe that's the reason why I was behind that podium that night. But it was it was a very 
very, very eye-opening experience for me to let me know that uh, I'm not operating this thing alone. I tell people it was like this. You know, when you're a little kid and you're sitting on the floor with your blocks and your toys, when you're sitting on the floor with those blocks and toys and trucks, little toy trucks, you're building a great city in your mind. In your mind, you're doing great things. You're doing magnificent things. You're doing wonderful things. Then all of a sudden, your mom or dad comes along and says, you know, clean up those things and let's go. We have something we have to do. <laughs> That's the exact same thing that God did to me on that night. I was I was off trying to do my own thing. And God said, you know what? Put all that away. I got something I need for you to do. Come on here. And that's what he did. Man, that is an incredible story because I would have thought that you would have worked uh, for weeks on that speech. It was so eloquent, so moving, and so, uh, shall I say, it was needed for the times that we're yes. in because, uh, you know, we, we we are in grave danger of losing a lot of our freedoms. Sure. And, you know, it's interesting, too, when I, I think about what's happening uh, in my own life, I started reading this book on uh, Booker T. Washington. Yes. And he talks about that specific thing about he was born free and nobody could ever take his freedom. And he never had an attitude that he had to go get it from somebody. Mm -hmm. And when you, when you look at his life and where he came from, I mean, it's just so incredible. And when I start learning it even better, I'm going to use his, his life as an example because it's extraordinary. I mean, dirt poor, uh, you know, had to walk, walk to go to school. They, when he showed up, he was so dirty and filthy, they almost mm -hmm. sent him away. But he got in front of a teacher and, and just started learning things and figuring it out. And he just never his whole uh, the whole story of his life is about how he just never quit. And he just started inventing things and solving things. And now he's, you know, one of, uh, you know, America's greatest, uh, um, you know, one of our greatest Americans of all time. And it, it embodies so much of what we're trying to talk about on on the big timers uh, foundation and on the doc and the block podcast and it's it's been really um rewarding for me to do this show because every time we see somebody like yourself it's the same type of stuff about you know hard work and perseverance mm -hmm. uh, and then faith is huge i mean to me that's really been punching me in the face is like man nobody is without faith sure, sure. and like i said uh the things that we've, the things that we've seen in our lives and the, the people that I've seen, gosh, I just, I can't count. I mean, just sitting here with the two individuals, the three individuals I'm sitting here with now and then thinking about, about all the people that I know. I know people that are, you know, I know people who are billionaires who started out uh, peddling things door to door. Uh, and I know people who uh, have seen the toughest of times. I know people who are the product of rape, who are now uh, counseling people who found themselves in the most distressing situations. The stories of, of overcoming in this nation are just amazing. And, it, and again, it goes back to the foundations of our nation, the true foundations of our nations, not the wicked people who didn't adhere to those things. You know, so many times that's what we want to focus on. We want to focus on the wicked people who did not want to give people their freedom, who did not want to give people liberty. What we need to focus on are the principles of the country, which are freedom and liberty and how those things can be parlayed into success. And, you know, when you look at the way people have been able to use their freedom and their liberty to overcome the greatest of odds in this country, you can't help but say, hey, man, I live in a great country. Matter of fact, I live in the greatest country on earth. Before I go, though, I'd be remiss if I didn't say one thing that I love to say to young people, and that's this. Everybody in today's society, we all love to talk about our rights. We see it on videos when folks get pulled over by the police. The first thing they say is, well, I, I know what my rights are. People love to say that. I've got the right for, to do this and I've got the right to do that. 
I would submit to any young person before you ever claim about make any claim about your rights. The very first thing you need to think about is your responsibility, because responsibility is the absolute fuel. It is the fuel of freedom. If you are not a responsible person, you will not have your freedom for long. If you're not financially uh, responsible, you won't have financial freedom. If you're not socially uh, responsible, you won't have your physical freedom for long. Responsibility is the driver, the driver of uh, freedom. And I I think I heard it best said by a, a psychologist who said this. My response is my responsibility. And the key word there is responsibility. So that'd be the one thing that I'd want to impart to these young folks is to make sure that responsibility is always paramount in whatever you do. To much who is given, much is required. That's uh, that's a very important concept. Uh, you know, the other thing uh, we talk about responsibility, but when you also when you talk about freedoms, where do I'm always wondering where people think freedoms and morals and behaviors come from. You know, the idea that we shouldn't steal and that we should honor Mm -hmm. our mother and father and that we uh, shouldn't commit murder and things Mm -hmm. like that. Like these morals and these traditions come from the the Judeo-Christian ethic and that there's no concept of human individual human rights until the Magna Carta. uh, I want to say that was in the early 1300s, you know, and then our country's uh, constitution, uh, is predicated on these Judeo-Christian values. And, you know, I go back to kind of my scientific mind about it. It's like, I want to be successful, so let me emulate uh, people who are successful. Well, free market capitalism, uh, Judeo-Christian uh, value and ethic, uh, and living in a free country. We have the best place on the planet. My father used to tell me that uh, even with all its pockmarks, and we got a lot in our country, it's the greatest society that ever existed. And he said, next to my health, the greatest gift I was ever given was being born in the United States. And boy, that is proven to be true because even with my flaws and my limitations, mm-hmm. I've been able to, to reach my potential mm-hmm. uh, in this country. And uh, we really want to reach out to kids. Don't buy into the, the hype that you're being held back. You know, we, that's why our motto is no excuses. Right. You got something in your way. Talk to Booker T. Washington. You want to talk about to uh, somebody who's got something in his way. Being successful is a state of mind, you know, refusing to fail and uh, not being discouraged when things don't go your way. Thanks, uh, Lieutenant Governor Mark Robinson, thank you so much for being a part of our show. You're an amazing big timer. We look forward to having you back again in the future sometime. Thank you all so much. We appreciate being here. It was an absolute pleasure and we would love to come back. God Have bless you. Have a great you. weekend. Thank you, And guys. you are officially a big-timer. <laughs> ah, thank you. Thanks, everybody, for joining the show. We'll see you guys next week. Everybody follow us at bigtimers.org. That's B-I-G-T-I-M-E-R-S.org, bigtimers.org. Everybody have a great week. Veron, Block, love you, too, love you guys. Have a great weekend. Love right. you. See you later, baby.